my guest today is Robin McPherson. Robin is Head of College at Robin Gordon's College in Aberdeen. He is also a board member for Remembering Srebrenica Scotland. As a history teacher for 18 years, Robin has worked in Scotland, England and the UAE. He was previously Content Director of the Telegraph Festival of Education and organised Research Ed in Scotland. In the summer of 2019, he launched EduMod at the Fringe, an international education festival with Summerhouse Media. Robin has also published a book with Carl Hendrick entitled What Does This Look Like in the Classroom? Bridging the Gap Between Research and Practice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Robin. My pleasure. and Thank you for asking me. You're welcome. So could you just sort of start off by telling us a little bit about your involvement with um, remembering Srebrenica, but also remembering Srebrenica Scotland. Yeah, there's quite a long backstory to this, so I'll see if I can um, keep it concise. Uh, I suppose it, it goes back to, uh, well, firstly, uh, as a teenager, I was um, studying politics uh, as, well, I would have been 16 um, when Srebrenica happened. And so I equate it a little bit to how people probably view Syria now in that they're aware that there has been a major conflict there and the atrocities have taken place, but they probably don't fully understand it because most adults don't understand it. It's a very complex um, history and a, a complex conflict with lots of international players involved. So when I was 16 hearing about um, Bosnia uh, you know, in the news, I just wanted to understand what it was and no one could really explain it to me. So um, it was something that I always thought later on in life, I would like to know kind of why this happened. So I'd seen it so much on the news. And um, later on, when I was early on in my teaching career, I got the chance to go to Washington, D.C., and I spent some time in the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And they had a, a fantastic exhibition about genocide and a lot on Bosnia. And it's the first time I had the chance to, to read about it in a, an academic way. And I thought, OK, this is the type of information I, I need now. And this would have been you know, about a decade after it happened. So... Um, it got me thinking that, yeah, this is still something that I really want to get involved with one day. So um, fast forward a few more years and I was teaching in England. I was a head of history and we had a, a, a guest speaker for Holocaust Memorial Day that didn't go quite the way we wanted it. And um, on, on the back of that, uh, the, the school chapter with a guy called Tim Novus and I, um, we had a conversation. We thought, you know, we're trying to get across to pupils the significance of, of genocide. And what that means for, for them as young people and how they confront prejudice and intolerance in society. So we need to do something more than just one-off events around Holocaust Memorial Day. It's obviously very important to mark that. But what are you doing the rest of the year? So that was the, the educational problem that we, we set ourselves. So we came up with an idea for um, what we called a Peace and Conflict Institute, where we would study, um, uh, well, for a year, a society that had been through conflict and then a peace process. And then we would end that year with a, a trip for the pupils involved in the Institute to actually go in and see the setting they've been learning about and, and talk to people who've been involved and affected by that so that they could learn some lessons. And we thought it was really important to change the location each year so that pupils would have something to compare to. So we did year one in Northern Ireland and that was fascinating. So we took a group mm -hmm. to Belfast and they met um, people from both sides, so you know, former IRA people, former UVF people, people who had uh, been released as a result of the Good Friday Agreement. So they, they, they were murderers 
and they also got to meet uh, people who had lost family members. Um, so it was a really you know heart hitting week, but they learned a huge amount about it. And then we presented our findings at the the Telegraph Festival of Education after that. So for the pupils, that was a, a big demand, but they were really uh, they rose to the challenge. So in year two, Tim and I were really keen to um, to go to Bosnia. And this was me finally getting the chance to, to get into Bosnia the way I'd always wanted to, but I hadn't been before. And I, I got in touch with one of the governors at UWC Mostar, which is a, a fascinating school. We could do a whole separate podcast just about that school and why it was set up. But And they were running some teacher training um, around the, the conflict and how you could develop a series of lessons around it. And, and Tim and I weren't able to go, unfortunately, because it clashed with a, a parents' evening, so the school wouldn't let us out. Um, but they, the governor did say to me, but you, you must have been in touch with Remembering Srebrenica. I said, well, no, I've, I've never heard of them. So I got in touch. And, and honestly, a month later, they put, um, put Tim and I forward uh, for a delegation. They said, yeah, sure, tell us when you could go. And, and unfortunately, Tim wasn't able, but, but I went out. And um, it was phenomenal. It was a genuinely life-changing trip. You know, it's a, it's a four-day thing. And, and the charity basically wants you to come back and, and do some work on the back of, of your visit. But um, we, you know, we went to Sarajevo, we went to Srebrenica, we went, uh, spent time with the International Commission for Missing Persons. Um, I mean, that was just incredible. The, the job that they are doing of trying to uh, you know, match up remains to a DNA database to identify the victims when you had something like 30,000 missing people. And, you know, sometimes they're finding substantial parts of the skeleton, sometimes it's a fragment and it's just, it's, I really was quite shocked really by what I saw in, in that and I realized it's the, the mechanics of how a genocide works and and, and that's something that I've, I'm not sure I've ever quite reconciled my mind to, to how this this actually takes place but you know, this is the kind of stuff we have to grapple with so when I came back from that visit um, we then took our pupils there and I carried on working with them as, as what was called a community champion so we started doing educational events for uh, visiting speakers going around to different schools and when I moved to Scotland um, the, one of the, the people we've been working with um, Rashad Turbonia had said that he would contact me or connect me to the board in Scotland which he did and that was great so Lorna Hood's the, the, the chair uh, was a, a phenomenal figure just stepped down and, and you know, she's been brilliant for setting up RSS in Scotland you know a, a brilliant leader and so committed to the cause so she um, asked me to be on the board and uh, you know, jumped at the chance. So essentially tried to develop the work I've been doing in England up in Scotland with producing educational resources and, and mainly organising schools conferences, which have, have been really powerful days. You know, we, we've, we've gone to different parts of the country and gone into schools and you know, spent a day with pupils who have signed up for it and had you know, three, four different speakers coming at it from different angles. But I think the difficulty is really trying to get across um, to pupils and also to staff as well, just the, the history of it. It's a very complex mm -hmm. bit of history, you know, what happened in the Balkans. And, um, you know, as Bismarck said, something like it, was the, it wasn't worth the, the single bones of a healthy Pomeranian grenadier because he just thought it was such a, a chaotic part of the world just to keep out of it. Um, so... Uh, that, trying to get across just um, you know, the, the tensions that existed, um, you know, the, the difference in moving from communism into you know, kind of far-right nationalism, uh, it's, it's quite tough to get across in a day, but I think we, we do it well. And what you're really trying to do with that is just ignite that interest. This was the interest that I had in that I knew something um, very serious had happened there, but I wanted to understand the problem. So I think I've been working on it for 
you know, well, since it happened really on and off for 25 years. And, and even now, I think my level of understanding is, is no better than competent, um, but not necessarily expert. So it's trying to get people onto that journey as well and to learn the lessons from it. So, you know, they, they can um, do what they can in their own communities to, to foster, I think, not just um, tolerance. I have a colleague here, Robert Gordon, who said that tolerance is a weak virtue. It's, it's just, you know, a basic level of acceptance. It's not really... Uh, it doesn't go as far as, as embracing and celebrating diversity. And I, I suppose that's what we're trying to do. Is it's not just to, to understand people from different walks of life, but to actually acknowledge that as a, as a strength and a positive and something that enriches your own life. So that's the kind of the really big step that we're, we're trying to take. Um, and, and also to get across, I, I think what, what I, I try to add to the mix as well, whenever we do events like this, is that you know if, if by teaching about what happens in Bosnia, you end up, taking a dislike to particular groups of people, then we've done it completely wrong. And what we should be focusing on is toxic ideology, not groups of people. We can identify perpetrators and war criminals as one thing, but we certainly shouldn't be generalizing about groups of people. So I wouldn't want anyone to come away feeling prejudiced against Bosnian Serbs or Serbs. That's, that's not the message. That's, that's actually entrenching the problem. You know, the point is to look at what happens when you have powerful ideologies like communism and then nationalism. And those sort of interplays of forces and what can happen when communities break down. Um, and, and that is about, you know, vehicles like propaganda for, you know, ideas that are fundamentally setting one group of people against another group of people and, and even making them feel that they're part of a group of people that they're maybe not. Um, so that's the kind of thing that every society is, is only a few steps away from. And we need to make sure that we take preventative healthcare steps to make sure that our societies are, are getting stronger and our communities are supportive places and not mutually self-destructive places. Absolutely. And, and I've been fortunate enough to um, obviously go to an education conference that you have run and you've had uh, fellow board members along as well sharing that that story. Um, what I'd be really interested in is, is finding out a bit more about what you notice around the engagement from the pupils that come along to these events because they cover a lot of core details and information and the dialogue that I've observed um, that the that the young people engage with is, is really powerful. Would you like to say anything about what you've noticed in those conversations? Yeah, we've, we've grown the model a bit. And I think it's that engagement, you're right, is, is absolutely crucial. The first time we did one, um, it was quite academic. And I think we had too many speakers and it was a bit too much uh, of a lecture style approach. And all the presentations themselves were great, but we didn't have enough sort of hands-on work done by the pupils. So what we try and do really is, is sketch out um, the, the narrative really of what happened in the 1990s so that they, they get the, the overview of it, but then bring out some of the themes. So practical exercises around propaganda and actually looking at how propaganda worked um, in, well, in the Holocaust, then in um, the former Yugoslavia, and actually now looking at some of the messages that go out in, in politics today. You know, and, and that's not just a Donald Trump thing. That's, a, you know, there were issues with that well before Donald Trump came along. Um, so it's, it's trying to get them to connect it to the world that they live in today to see some of the, of the themes that are still sadly there. Um, and then to try and get them to reflect on it, on it and, and afterwards go and do something different in their lives. It's, it's, I think one of the problems we always have with education is that we can, we can get to pupils in terms of, of getting to understand the concept. Um, but then how does that impact on their own values and critically their behavior? You know, what is it that's different about they, the way they behave? And, and crucially, we, we want to be able 
um, to have young people feel empowered to challenge prejudice when they see it. So if they overhear someone saying something that's out of order, they see something, do they feel able and empowered to confront that and, and you know, make a, a positive intervention? Um, so that's the bit, you know, if, if we're getting people to do that, then great. And I do think that in, in the conference we had more recently that when you have conversations with people at the end of the day, getting them to reflect mm -hmm. on it a bit, you do think that they are going to make decisions in their life or take a different path perhaps in life, whether that's a job choice or a where to live choice or any other choice that um, you know, they will actually be those type of, of young, active and engaged citizens that, that we want and that are promoting a more tolerant and, and, and um, diverse and a diverse society that we celebrate actively. You know, that's, that's, the, you know, that's the holy grail really, isn't it? Um, so I think that, that pupil engagement is really powerful because we learned that with the, the Peace and Conflict Institute that when we went to Belfast. Mm -hmm. We didn't um, factor in getting young people to meet other young people. Mm. And that was our big takeaway. We thought it would be really powerful, but ultimately it was young people talking to adults. You've also got to be slightly wary of that, you know, passing down a, a, a poison chalice kind of thing um, yeah. from one generation to the next. It was not a flaming torch, but a poison chalice, isn't it? So uh, when we went to Bosnia, we spent a day in a school in Sarajevo where actually we, we visited the school. It was great because the, the kids there put on all sorts of demonstrations about you know, what they were learning in their curriculum. And, and that was the, in some ways the showpiece bit, but the, the real integration happened when we just basically took them off for a long lunch and let them sit and chat to one another. Um, and then afterwards we got them to interview each other on camera and, and ask a few questions that, you know, there wasn't a script to it. It was a case of, um, let's just see what questions you want to come up with over lunch. Um, so we were, as teachers were able to kind of sit back and observe this from the fringes. And um, you know, that was a really powerful experience as well. And, and afterwards, it was so interesting to talk to our pupils when we came home. And they were, they were really struck by the fact that, and I think this is really tragic, that um, all but one of the pupils they talked to in Bosnia saw their future as being outside of Bosnia. Um, only one of them really wanted to stay and, and carry on living there. And, and there are you know, yes, there are economic reasons for that because the level of youth unemployment is very high. Um, but also political affiliation helps a lot. Um, you know, the sort of nepotism that goes on still runs on a, on a party line. Um, so that's a big problem too. But you have to say that, um, you know, Bosnia has been a failed state tragically. Mm -hmm. It's got the world's most complex system of government because it's been, it's still stuck in 1995 in the Dayton Agreement where it was almost a case of, right, you, you guys go over there and you guys go over there and stop fighting. Um, and a system of government's been built around that. Um, so you still have these um, you know, completely different systems in education and in healthcare mm -hmm. and, and multiple ministries that rotate in presidency. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. because that, it's very hard now to deconstruct that system, it's quite hard to reintegrate um, the, the different groups. So Bosnia still almost sort of lives in um, the, these, these different um, groups that are, are not really engaging with one another. So some of the schools that are being set up, like UWC Mostar, um, and like the Institute of um, uh, Science and Technology that we went to in Sarajevo, they're, um, they're really trying very hard to get pupils from different backgrounds to learn together. Um, so I think that's why a lot of the young people felt really disenchanted was, was because of that. And they all saw their futures being Germany or America or the UK uh, once they, they got qualified. Um, so our kids came away thinking, well, actually, why is that? That's, um, that's a real shame. And, and clearly some, some work needs to be done around that. So if that... If they left school in the UK thinking that's an international relations problem that maybe I can help with, then you know, we've done some good work there, but awful, awful lot more to do. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting the types of questions that they're asking mm, around absolutely. that. 
Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And, and actually, the types of questions that the, the kids in Bosnia were asking our kids as well. And, and mm. what came across there was that they've, they've just all got the same interest, whether it's, mm. you know, what, what music are you into? Yeah. What, you know, kind of uh, TV do you watch? What job do you want to do later on in life? Uh, you know, they, they're just kids. They're all part of the, the same wonderful fabric of, you know, the, mm-hmm. of being a teenager and, and going from being a child to an adult. So they've all got the same kind of interests and concerns and everything else. And, and you do think that when you see that, mm-hmm. it does make you think, you know, we can break down barriers. That's not a problem. Yeah. We just need to break bread together. Yeah. And and I guess that, you know, this, this year um, commemorated sort of 25 years since the genocide in um, Bosnia and, that's quite incredible, actually, that that time frame has gone by. When you kind of reflect, you talked about being sort of 16 when it um, when the war broke out in Bosnia. What are your kind of reflections? And I guess, you know, the involvement you've had um, with Remembering Srebrenica, uh, Remembering Srebrenica Scotland, but also, you know, predominantly with children and young people and educating them and sharing um, information with them and providing opportunities for them to uh, meet and and share and you know uh, break that bread and have those dialogues. So, what are your reflections twenty five years on? On I guess that's a big question, but something around you know what are your thoughts about that journey the country's been through and and where they are now. Bosnia particularly or yeah, yeah and Bosnia particularly um Srebrenica I know you've been out there and taken individ- you know taken children out there as well but yeah what what are your reflections on that I think um, it made me think a lot about um actually South Africa and moving on from apartheid um in uh, the, I think there's some parallels to be drawn there um I've taught a lot of South African history um as, as well as looking at Bosnia and wider history Yugoslavia when you have that that kind of moment of, of fracture, the society breaks down, and then you try and go through a, a process to you know, re-enable the state, one of the key things you've got to get right is education. And that's really, really hard because you've essentially got a period in which teacher training is not really happening or teacher recruitment is not really happening the way you want it to be, or, or the people who are teachers probably shouldn't be teachers now. So how do you kind of fill that void to start a new generation up with um, a, a curriculum that's built on the right values, but teachers know what they're doing. They don't just have the right values themselves, but they've got the pedagogical skill to teach kids very effectively. And I think South Africa has really struggled to move on educationally because you just have that, that problem of the, you know, you, you didn't have any black teachers really in apartheid or very few um, that had the resources and the skills and the training to be really effective at what they did. So how do you suddenly get that generation coming through? Because the, you know, the problem was inherited and passed on. And it's a little bit similar, uh, I think, in Bosnia in that you've still got the education system, as I said, that's based on ethnic lines. Um, and the, the schools that have you know, a diverse pupil body and a diverse um, teacher body are few and far between. So then, and the ones that are doing are, are doing really, really well. And so you've got young people that are still growing up in a system whose structure is based on what their parents and grandparents did and got wrong. And how can they escape that structure and that mindset if that's the case? You know, they're still living with that mold in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably that, that explains as well why many of them see their future 
outside the country. Um, and oh, that was just one school, but you no, know, that was one of the most forward thinking schools. So that's um, an interesting point of reflection as well. Um, and you know, how will things be better in the long term until education gets sorted out? Um, I think that's that's with my reflection on it and, and thinking that's why I sort of want to stay involved with it in, in the longer term to see what we can do to help. Um, and you know, if, if schools get sorted out, that's how you make a generational shift. Um, and that like, we, we talk a lot about pupil voice um, and, and empowerment in Scotland, and I think that's something that. Uh, it would be great to see if, if you could get that in Bosnia, but that's really tough to do. Um, and also, I think young kids have got the still the overhang of the war because you, know, you keep in mind that, uh, and, and I always find this as well when, when we do the conferences in Scotland, that people are always struck by the age of the survivors. And you think of people who are genocide survivors because they've mainly learned about the Holocaust. They think they're old people, but they're not. They're still really young, middle-aged people, uh, you know, people who had um, you know, childhood. You know, if someone if, if someone was born in say you know, kind of 1990, then they're 30 years old now, but their first childhood memories would be the war. Um, so that's still really young. Um, and issues like PTSD, I think, are huge. You've got a lot of children growing up in homes in Bosnia where parents are deeply affected to this day by what happens, and and that leads to a lot of unhappiness. So even just doing things like dealing with pastoral problems are a big issue for schools and, and you just wonder what um, what level of support they're really able to give. It's incredibly tough. So I think just trying to, to move a generation on to have a different set of values is what Bosnia needs to do. And I'd have to defer to people who know a lot more about this, especially when we spent a lot more time in Bosnia, like Marcel Fraser, you know, our fellow board member who worked in Bosnia for, for a number of years and um, speaks the language and, and you know, it'd be interesting to get her take on it. But um, you know, where are, are Bosnian schools at? Where are Bosnian young people at right now? If, if they're going to be the agents of change, they do need a helping hand by having an education system that will make that possible. So that's the, the really difficult problem, and and the bit that um, you know I, I would like to stay involved in because I think we can we can we can help. Mm -hmm, definitely, and one of the things I really struggled with when I was out there was this concept of people denying the genocide and I remember um, mm. speaking with our fixer about what what's in the curriculum like what what are children and young people learning in the curriculum and in some aspects it's completely um, not referred to at all you know the, the war and or the war is but the the perception of how it was is a very different view on on what we know and understand now and I think that in itself must be really challenging um, from all aspects, from what's being taught in schools, but also then the realities of families and how families pass on stories and their feelings of what happened. A little bit like what you were saying before, you know, how adults pass down their experiences. Yeah, I think the content of the curriculum is such a key thing in education that if you've got teachers who are, you know, good at the craft of teaching and they are given a curriculum um, that is really based around the, the right values, then what you can have is a really fantastic education system. The, the bit about, you know, buildings and technology and all the rest of it are, are far less important than the quality of teachers and the curriculum. And I think because the system is still being shaped by, you know, people from the, the war era and before, um, then that, that is a massive problem. And as you say, because of the, the complex nature of government in Bosnia and what's being taught in the Republic of Srpska as well, 
you just think that our, our the, the children uh, who are growing up in those schools now are going to be able to get out of the mindset that brought their parents into absolute disaster, unless there's that collective will. And, and my worry is that because of that concept of genocide denial, that has been channeled directly into schools curricula at the moment in Eastern Bosnia. And that's such a shame because there's no reason that children in Eastern Bosnia and Central Bosnia should be able to get on perfectly well if they were all able to, I suppose, um, you know, come at things from a level playing field um, with a, an open view of the world. But it's very difficult to, to get people out. And it's easy for someone like me to stand here and say that having not lived through the war, but um, still it's, it's, it's amazing to see how you know, people like Mladic are still considered war heroes. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I point this out a lot. With, uh, I've got Serbian friends as well who are really interesting to talk to about this. You know, remember that the Serbia lived through a dictatorship and suffered through a dictatorship and the loss of which was brutal to his own people. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that, that ability to rationalise and move on as a society, as um, you know, you've seen a lot of, of goods happening there in Serbia. Um, not to say there's not still issues, but a lot of good has happened there. But I think the problem is in eastern Bosnia that that reckoning hasn't really come. Um, just, and and that's where even having the Human Rights uh, sort of Commission, the, the tribunal, the ICTY um, in The Hague, was hugely problematic because uh, having studied other processes like this in, in places like Rwanda and truth and reconciliation in South Africa, Sierra Leone, and village courts, that. When you don't have the courts in the country where it happened, then there's not necessarily that sense of ownership, but it's imposed foreign justice. So it's really important that that happened. But I think it's probably caused a deeper problem in Bosnia by, you know, uh, you know the, the genocide denier of mentality is, uh, you know, has probably been emboldened by that is that, you know, we, we are, um, we're seen as outsiders and we don't care. We were not going to listen to what other people say. So, you know, the verdicts of the ICTY haven't had the impact in Eastern Bosnia the way we want them to. Um, and, and that's, again, an ongoing problem that you think, well, how many generations is it going to take for people to acknowledge a, a historical truth about what happened? And um, you still see so much toxicity around this and um, you know, the debates that take place online and in person. But, you know, the fact that the, the mayor of Srebrenica is a genocide denier is just, staggering yeah you think okay well how on earth do we move forward from this Mm -hmm. and um you mentioned earlier about you know wanting to keep your involvement with remembering Srebrenica Scotland going and and it would just be really interesting I guess as we kind of come to the end of this chat when you think about the future for remembering Srebrenica Scotland and what they want to focus on um dare I say for the next 25 years what where do you think that shift or where do you see um, the importance lying, I guess, around the work that Remembering Srebrenica do? I think in, in the first phase and, and under Lorna Hood, we've done a great job of raising awareness and we've had so many people go out in delegations from different walks of, of life in Scotland and people who are great public servants and uh, you know, people who can also, um, you know, have got a wide audience and are able to, to share messages and survivor stories. That's been great. And we realised increasingly that what we needed to do really was, was get more involved in, in education. So um, we've been, been trying to do that. And there's a good group of us that, that started and now it's expanded. So we've got more volunteers and, and that's going really well. A good colleague in the board, Fiona, is, is doing excellent work around that. Um, and she's a real force of nature. So um, I think that's what our future is going to be. We, we've had to put things a wee bit on hold because of COVID, as, as everybody else has. 
So we're not being able to do the conferences and so on, but I know we're, we're going to try and just keep on maximising our, our reach to schools, to universities, and you know, we really hope to be able to take delegations of pupils out to Bosnia in the way that the Holocaust Education Trust do, because um, that's a terrific model, and we've spoken to a few people in HET about how they can help and advisors on setting that up. So I think that's just that we've got to keep on growing it. Um, one of the problems I think we've got is that um, teachers in Scotland just don't know much about this. Um, there's, there's a, if you're a history teacher in Scotland, especially, there's a bit of a core kind of series of topics that, that you would know and teach a lot. So, you know, Hitler and Nazism and Stalin and Russia and you know, American civil rights, they're really popular topics. And you've got that almost kind of like greatest hits package. So when you say to teachers, what do you know about what happened to Yugoslavia? Not many of them will know much about it at all. So it's not, a, and, and to ask teachers to, to upskill and, and content knowledge, you know, it's, it's always a big ask when teachers are really busy at the best of times. So we've got to try and, and um, pique their interest in it. And every teacher I think we've ever spoken to about it or got along to a conference has, has been fascinated by it and thought, actually, yeah, this is something we can do. So we're just really trying to, to help with the subject knowledge side of it and, and the teacher training side of it as well. We've done teacher training conferences. I think we probably need to get back into doing that. We concentrate more on the pupil element, but I think we probably need to, um, uh, yeah, to do a bit more on teacher training as well. So I know this is all um, in the thinking, um, and it'll be really interesting to see where we are in a few years' time because we've, we've had a had a great start. We've achieved so much in, in the five or so years we've been up and running, but all of us want to make sure that in the long term we just keep on growing it. I'd love to see where we are in 10 years' time. I think we can do you know, really powerful things. And I think we do just need to actually keep up the dialogue with Bosnia and actually, you know, the moment we've got, got great connections with people who are survivors and activists and human rights um, you know, activists, that's great. I think we probably need to you know, build up more links with schools to, to see what we can do and to collaborate and you know, make it a partnership. It's not going to work if we just tell them what to do. Um, it's got to be a case of actually learn from one another because as a, we say this a lot as well, as a, you know, Scotland is a country with a sectarian history. You know, we're not so different. We're a very similar size to Bosnia. And, you know, for, um, you know, Muslim and Orthodox reads, you know, Catholic and Protestant. Um, we, we have a, something of a, a shared history in terms of our difficulty around religious tensions and ethnic tensions. So there's a lot we can learn from one another. Yeah, definitely. That sounds fascinating. And I think you're right. I'd love to see what's still happening in 10 years' time and how it's progressed even further. So, Thank you so much for your time today, Robin. I really appreciate um, your time on this really important subject. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.